Good afternoon on this Friday, February 24th, Discovering Victory podcast. And we're thrilled to be able to bring you portions of messages that have been preached from the pulpit here at America's Keswick, where God speaks to hearts and transforms lives. This is a message from week three, Dr. Dave Edwards, who has been with us for our singles events, but we've brought him now for our family weeks. Uh, He is an amazing communicator. He Mm -hmm. loves the Lord and loves to share the Word of God. So let's give a listen to Pastor Dave, Dr. Dave Edwards, as he comes to share part one from his message from week three Mm -hmm. here at America's Keswick. Try to make it to the microphone before the applause dies down. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. I am so glad to get to be here. We, you heard Bill say we did do a singles conference, but we got them all married off. So uh, I'm at family camp now. All right, so it is good to get to be here. Has anybody ever heard me before at, at, here at Keswick? Maybe at the Christmas thing or Thanksgiving. Yeah, the singles thing, right? And uh, I want to give you a couple of fun facts. So I'm originally from Oklahoma. Has anybody, anybody ever been to Oklahoma? Really, what, what part? Where'd you go? It's also, that's, that's the pretty part. That is the part with trees, kids, all right? Oklahoma City, so that's where I live. Where are you at, bro? Tulsa. Tulsa's the pretty part. So I live in Oklahoma City, uh, which is famous for nothing, really. And there's not really anything. We have an airport that I flew out of there yesterday out of our international world airport named Will Rogers Airport, named after a guy who died in a plane crash. And uh, a little scary, a little disturbing. But, uh, I'm, but I made it, and uh, Oklahoma doesn't really have any trees. I love it here because you guys have these things called trees all over, and Oklahoma, ha- Oklahoma City has one tree. They built a fence around it, and everyone's like, let's go to the forest. And right, so that's, that's kind of what we're working with. And, and, Oklahoma, and I, I'm not saying anything about Oklahoma that I wouldn't say in front of the state. Right? They know They know there's not a lot of trees. I mean, it's so flat and windy. There's a place where you can stand and see the curvature of the earth. You know what I mean? It's just, they know it. And they started a campaign to plant trees around the city to make it prettier. It's not going to work. And, uh, but they, they called their campaign, and just stay with me on this, Up With Trees. What other direction are they going to go? Up With Trees? Right? It's not like diagonal with trees, sideways with trees. I don't even know it. Up with trees. And they've made signs that say up with trees, and the signs are made out of wood. And uh, that is not good. All right. So they're working against themselves in so many ways. So, uh, so I'm originally from Oklahoma City. I currently live in Houston, Texas. I'm a pastor of discipleship there at a church called Church Project. And uh, so I, lo- I love doing what I'm doing. I, I spend part of my time there and part of my time traveling and speaking in churches and speaking in conferences and doing things like this. I've done a handful of camps this summer in different parts of the country. Uh, so you know that about me. I'm a Mexican food fan. Anybody love Mexican food? Yeah, look at almost the whole room. I love it. And uh, so I, I'm mystified by Mexican food because Mexican food is only made up of three items and they all the menus are 12 and 13 pages long. I, I don't understand that. But anyway, I, whatever form it comes in, I love it. I uh, also, I'm short attention span. Do we have anybody here that just can't pay attention for very long? Let me see those hands. Let me see where my fan base is. And uh, yes, so this is preaching for short attention span people today. And uh, I, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure if I have, if I officially have ADD, I have ADDHD, which means I can't pay attention, but I do it in high definition. And uh, so I have great clarity about what I'm distracted about. And uh, I don't know if you've, 
you may, maybe you guys are like, have great attention span that can dial in, but if you're short attention, but first of all, the name, Attention Deficit Disorder, just the name is too long for someone with ADD to remember. It's too long. I, I think that's unfair. And, uh, but if you don't, if you've never, if you know what it's like to, to try to pay attention, like it affects like my reading, my speaking. It also affects my prayer life. Has anybody ever had what I call ADD prayers? Anybody? Where you like you start off and you're real spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? You're like real intense. You're going to pray to God. And then your mind trails off into someplace else. You don't even know how you got there. You, let, let me show you what it looks like to be short attention span and to try to pray. God, I just repent of sin and anger and I like cheese. Okay, I'm back now. All right, so... So those are a few fun facts about me, and uh, I'm excited to get to be here. And so as we move forward this week, we'll get to know each other. And so uh, as you, when you see me wandering about uh, on the grounds, remember to say, hi, Dave. Just remember to say, hi, Dave. And uh, so do not, when you see me, do not go, there's that one guy. All right, I don't need to relive high school. All right, so anyway, uh, uh, so here, uh, we're going to take the, this, uh, this summer's theme and I want to talk about it from some different angles. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of being in Christ, this idea of being for Christ. I want to talk about that little phrase of being for Christ, because the, it is, although it is, seems simple, in many ways, it can be a challenge. The idea that we maintain our relationship, our loyalty for Christ in the midst of struggles, in the midst of shifting circumstances. One of the great challenges then is to keep our love for him. I, I say this because I, I got a, a text, which I'll talk about a little more later, but I, I got a text from uh, a guy that I, I'm discipling who is a, another state away or so who sent me this long text about how angry he was at God because of the circumstances that were happening in his life. And I understand that, but within all of those circumstances, the challenge for you and I is to keep our love for him. So if you got your Bibles, right, we're going to read some verses this morning out of Philippians. Philippians. So I'm going to ask you to flip to Philippians. All right. And, uh, and so this is what Paul is. He's writing to this church at Philippi who was a great supporter of Paul's ministry, believed in him deeply, and they knew what he was going through. He was currently, as he's writing this letter, in prison, facing dire circumstances. And so Paul takes time to write this letter to encourage them not to lose their love for the Lord. This is the great challenge. When the bottom drops out, when things go wrong, when you hit a season in life and you think, well, this is not the way I thought this age and stage of my life would be. I didn't think it would be caught up with multiple visits to the doctor. I didn't think I would... It would be this way with my grandkids. I didn't think it would be exactly like this. And, and as things begin to shift, and sometimes there's always the temptation to be disappointed, right? The, the, we have to know how to keep our love for the Lord in the midst of those things. It's interesting that when you read about the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that of all the disappointment that Jesus saw with his own eyes, the sickness, the loss, the death, the, the, the fallout, the struggles, like Jesus walked in the middle of all of that and saw it firsthand and took much of it on himself. But when you read through the Gospels, not once do you ever see Jesus doubting God. Not once does he ever question God the Father. Isn't that interesting? Even in the midst of trials in the midst of struggle and the fallout of life, Jesus kept his love for the Father. 
And this is our struggle. This is our challenge, is to keep our love in the midst of circumstances that come against us, come against our family and ourselves and our our marriages. This This is the challenge to keep our love. And so as Paul's writing this letter, this is what brings us to our theme this morning. If you got Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1, let's look at it. Verse 21, look what he says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul says while he's in prison, separated from his friends and the people that love him, separated from support, in the midst of all of that, he says, for me to live for Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the rest of this chapter is the outworking of that. See, here's the deal. I I don't know why things happen to us. I don't know why life can be unpredictable and twists and turns. I don't know why sometimes the bottom falls out, but I do know that in the midst of all that, the one thing we have to get right is the right one thing. Paul, in the midst of his imprisonment, said, of all of this stuff that's happening, for me to live is Christ. Paul had started this church on his second missionary journey, and now he's separated from him in prison. And in the midst of all that, he says, for me to live is Christ. Here's my point this morning, ready? I want to talk to us about the power of the one right thing. I want to talk to us this morning about the power of having the one right thing. There's a lot of things that... We may not understand, but we have to, the one thing we have to get right is the power of the one right thing. There may not be a lot of things that we can comprehend or reason out, but the one thing we have to get right is the power of having the right one thing. And Paul cuts through the darkness and the disappointment by saying, for me to live is Christ. That was the thing that was written over his life. For me to live is Christ. And so what I want to do today is to talk to you about what happens when we have the right one thing in our life. The one thing we have to get right is the power of the right one thing. And when when the one thing that is written over our life is right, it affects every other part of our life. So this is not being poetic or devotional in any way. This is about saying when when the one right thing in my life is right, it affects everything else in my life. Paul says, for me to live is Christ. For me to live and whatever we put in that blank determines the rest of our life. Powerful thing. So now I'm a note guy. All right, let me just give you a heads up. All right, so because of my short attention span, I'm a note guy. So I've got three points this morning. And because I'm a little bit like, you know, kind of caught up about points, they all start with the same letter. They will all week long. There'll be a different letter, but all the points will be alliterated, kids. So if you like to take notes uh, every session, I'll have something for you to write down. And this is important because for me, because I grew up uh, hearing preaching that was, it sounded incredible. It was very high rhetoric. Mom and pastors were great orators and great speakers, but they weren't very practical. So I always left wishing that somebody would tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? How does this work? What is the point of all that? I I, I know that it's important, but I wish someone would put it down on the street level where I could pick it up and go, here's what I can do. And so that's what I'm doing with the point. So today, these three points talk about the ramifications. What happens when 
the one thing over our life is the right one thing. What does that do? And as we look at Paul's letter, we begin to see the ramifications, the outworking of having the right one thing. So when we get done today, you'll have three points you can go back and look at and go, oh, I, I, I probably need to apply that here. I probably, we probably, as a family, need to talk about this somewhere while we're here this week as a group and talk about how we can make sure that the right one thing is written over our life, right? So uh, anyway, so if, you got, if you're ready to take notes, here we go, ready? So number one, the first thing that having the right one thing does is that it takes us through times of disappointment. It takes us through times of disappointment. So listen to what he's writing about. Now, if we go over here to verse 12, let's start at verse 12. So verses 1 through 11 is the intro, right? And look what he says. Let's, let's look at 9 so you can see. Look, here's where he's talking about this whole thing about love. Look at this. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in the real knowledge and all discernment. He's saying, I'm praying that you'll keep your love in the midst of what you see, right? That you keep your love by having the right one thing. And then look, he talks about the times of disappointment. So we said the power of the right one thing takes us through times of crushing disappointment. Look what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So powerful. So that my imprisonment, my disappointment, right? So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, because of my disappointment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Paul was trained by the great theologians. He spoke multiple languages. He could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any thinker of his day. And for Paul, he wanted to get to Rome because Rome was the center of all of, of philosophy and all of the religious ideas and in Rome Christianity amongst all the philosophers and amongst all of the all the proclaimers Christianity didn't have a presence and so Paul always knew if he could get to Rome he could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these philosophers and make a case for the resurrection of Christ and make a case for the buoyancy of Christianity and that for Paul that was his thing he was always like I have to get to Rome I have to go there because I know if I can establish a foothold for Christianity in that city it'll spread throughout the rest of the globe Paul had always wanted to go to Rome and he got to Rome but not the way that he thought. He went to Rome as a prisoner in chains. Not at all the way that he expected. He was going to stand on the platforms in the middle of Rome and talk about the wonder of Jesus. And now he's in a dungeon, chained to a wall, guarded by two guards for four hours a day. I personally believe that the, the four-hour shift change was that was all these Praetorian guards could take of Paul, right? You get, I mean, these are soldiers, right? They're not believers. They were just sent to guard Paul. And, he, and can you imagine listening to Paul to go on and on about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus? And these guards who weren't believers are like, I'm, gonna, I'm ready to tag out, right? And so I, I think that's where that came from, that, that you know, there was as many as 10,000 soldiers in the Praetorian guard. And so, so they, would, they were working in four-hour shifts. And so for Paul, it seemed like a disappointment. 
That's why he mentions his imprisonment twice in these first verses. It's not the way he wanted life to go. It wasn't the way that he thought he was going to get there. But in the midst of it, he was faced with a challenge. He could have said, you know what? If this is the way God orchestrates circumstances, I think I'm just done with it. I'm done with the whole thing. He, said, he could have said, you know what? I, I, just let me out. I won't talk about it anymore. I won't say anything. I, I, I'm disappointed in my circumstances. They didn't go the way I thought. I'm disappointed with God. He should have acted differently. You know what? I'm done. He could have just said, I'm done. But in the midst of the prison, he says, for me to live is Christ. He writes it over his life. For me to live is Christ. And the power of the one right thing will take us through times of disappointment. And what that phrase did for Paul, look, what, and look how he talks about now his imprisonment. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. You know what began to happen? Because of the Praetorian Guard and their rapid shift change every four hours, history says that he shared the gospel with most of the Praetorian Guard, that this was the elite group of soldiers. These were, these were not just fighters and, and people with boots on the ground. These were people that influenced the political leaders. These are people that had sway over the culture of Rome. And while Paul was in prison, he was able to share the gospel with almost 10,000 of the Praetorian Guard. And Paul said, I, I would have never thought of it. I didn't see it. But when God put me in this prison, he put me right in connection with the guys that were going to influence the politics of the city. He put me right in connection with the people who would go into battle and uh, having heard that word would carry it with them. He said, it turns out that it's worked for the greater good because this is the power of the right one thing. When we write it over our life for me to live as Christ, all of a sudden it causes us to view our disappointment in another way. And Paul says, I would have never have chosen this. I would have never guessed that I could get to some of the most influential people in Rome from a prison. Think of it. <laughs> and what Paul began to see was that his prison was his platform. And this is what we have to do. In the things in our life we don't understand, in the things of our life we I don't know why this happened. In the midst of it, we have to stand in the middle of those things and say, I, I, I didn't choose it. I, I didn't, I, I, this, if I could have voted against it, I probably would have voted against it. I, I, wouldn't, I, I don't want it. But for me to live is Christ. And what that does is all of a sudden it helps us to see our problems as a platform. Paul said, my problems become my platform. What I thought was going to work against me has worked for me. What I thought was going to, what it looked like would be imprisonment and chains has now become platform. This is what we have to do. We have to say, my problem has become my platform. My problem is my platform. And this is what, to every student in the house, instead of seeing school as something that works against you or something that your friends aren't treating the way you ought to be treated, to say, you know what, my problem is my platform. I don't, I don't know how, but somehow God's going to use it because always in our life, whatever we don't choose, God will use. Paul didn't choose prison, but God used it. Paul, his problem, his prison became his pulpit, the place from which he pushed out the message of Christ to other people. I, I brought it. Can I get someone to help me out? Sir, can you help me out right here? Would you, would you get my, that bag right there on the, on the front row? Thank you, my friend.
I appreciate it. I brought this book with me today. This is a little book that I read every year. It's a little devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. Any of you guys ever heard of it? Beautiful, right? If, you, if you're not familiar with this, you should buy this, all right? This is called My Utmost for His Highest, written by a guy named Oswald Chambers. And I've read it every year of my life, probably since, I don't know, the, sometime in the 80s, somewhere. And I buy a new copy every year, and I go through it. And this book was written in the midst of crushing disappointment. You may not know the backstory. Oswald Chambers was a chaplain for the British Army in World War I. And Oswald Chambers was sent from London to Egypt to lead chapel services for young soldiers. And so he was literally, he would give these, these messages in a little tin shanty, in a little tin hut under the hot sun of Egypt. And knowing that the 10 or 15 or 20 guys that were sitting in that hut, once they left, they might never return. They would be sent to battle and never come back. And Oswald had taken his wife with him on this journey, his wife Gertrude. And uh, she would sit in the back while he would give these devotionals, and she was an expert at shorthand. And so she would write all of his, what he was saying, almost word for word, that she could write so quickly and in shorthand, so efficiently that almost everything he said, she was able to transcribe it. And this went on for a while. This was, he was, they were there for a good season. And he would get up and speak to these military soldiers, and one day they discovered that Oswald had appendicitis. And the doctor said, if you don't let us operate, you're not going to survive. And Oswald said, well, he turned, he turned down the operation because he said it wouldn't be right for me to take up the bed space that a soldier should have. Wouldn't be right for me to be in the hospital when there's real guys that are being wounded in battle and they need that space to, to have their life saved. So he turned the operation down and so naturally his appendix ruptured he, and he dies at an early age, a young man in his 30s. And Oswald and Gertrude had a little child together and now Gertrude picks up herself and her child and heads back to London as a single mom and a widow. Crushing disappointment. She moves in with some of her family, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. And finally, she, she moves out of that house, and she gets a house and, and opens a, a, a bed and breakfast, what, an early version of Airbnb. And she gets a breakfast, she gets a house and, and has eight people that are staying there pretty regularly. So she would get up and, you know, fix dinner and fix breakfast and lunch and dinner for the, for the boarders. And it was a way of sustaining her life. But there she was without a husband, as a single mom, taking care of people that she didn't really know, not really understanding what this season of her life was about. But she had had enough influence and heard enough of her husband's preaching that in the midst of that, she said, for me to live is Christ. And she remembered all these devotionals that she had transcribed when they were in Egypt. And so every day at the end of the evening, after she had fixed breakfast and lunch and dinner and everyone had turned in, she opened up the door that, off of her kitchen and went down the stairway to the basement and turned on a single light. And there she pulled out this pile of devotionals that Oswald had given in Egypt. 
and methodically every night begin to transcribe them on a manual typewriter. One light in a basement, methodically tapping away, never knowing what would come of it. And that act of that solitary act of typing these little devotionals in a basement by herself became my utmost for his highest. It was written in crushing disappointment. But it was written by someone who was able to view their loss through the lens of, for me to live as Christ. And the power of having the right one thing is that it helps us see our disappointment not as a problem, but as a platform. And this book has been read by hundreds of millions of people all over the world. Because when she could have given up, she said, for me to live is Christ. This is the power of a life that is lived for Christ, if I can get back to our theme, for Christ. All right, James, weekend's coming up. It's coming, it's coming. Hey, you know, one of the cool things is that God provides for our needs in amazing ways. And yeah. just a quick story. Uh, we are getting an unusual donation. A company came that are doing a big construction pro uh, project, and they asked us if we were interested in any topsoil. Mm -hmm. So, do you remember how many dump truck loads of topsoil we're getting? 250. What? 250 dump trucks are coming onto our property and unloading topsoil. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> so, think about it. I mean, not only are we getting the topsoil, yeah. But those, this company's paying for the transportation, back, you know, two and forth. It's back, an hour commitment. Forth. So yep. we're really, really thankful for the, how the Lord has provided. And we don't know what or why he's given us that topsoil. I'm sure our team will find. Well, Rob Russomano said we need grass seed. Okay. So if somebody wants to donate like we a lot the soil, of grass seed. You plant the, plant the seed. You can call 1-800-453-7942. Okay, what else is happening? So... We're coming into March. Be praying for our, our Hispanic weekends, please. That's uh, tonight. Guests are going to be checking in very shortly. Um, and then we have a, another one next weekend. So looking forward to that. It's always so much fun yeah. to have them here. I love their worship. Yeah. And I love, particularly on Sunday mornings, they have a session which just wraps around the Lord's table. And it's just such a meaningful time. Yeah. Uh, too often we just sort of tack that on the end of a service. Yeah. But that is a focal point of their worship for the Lord's Day. So Very heartfelt, intimate yeah. time. Okay, what else? Looking forward to March. March 2nd is our hymn sing on uh, Thursday morning. Songs of Heaven will be the theme. So we'll have the whole team coming out and uh, participating in that. Please come join us uh, for that morning. You can watch online, but we want you to come out in person. Yes. So please do so. Girl Talk is March 8th with Tamisha Stevens from Barbara's Place sharing. Looking forward to that. March 9th, uh, that evening on Thursday is Men's Fellowship Night. We have Pastor Mike Woods coming to share the word. Uh, he is the chaplain on duty at the Pines in Whiting. And he's also a graduate of the Colony Mercy. Yes, he, he is. So if you'd like to be a part of these events, we want to encourage you to visit our website, www.americaskeswick.org. Or you can call 1-800-453-7942. Ask for a copy of our spring events piece, mm -hmm. which will give you all the information right up to Memorial Day weekend. Have a great weekend. I trust that you'll join us on Monday for Worship Live at 1.30.
God bless you.